0: For your voice is more than a melody. Join us in planting seeds in a growing field. In this episode of the Able Voice podcast, we are joined by six incredible music therapists to talk all about
1: using woodwinds and brass instruments throughout the therapeutic process. Caitlin Beebe is a board-certified music therapist working at an intermediate care facility in Morganton, North Carolina. Caitlin's professional interests include extraverbal communication and therapy, improvisational music therapy, and empowerment of clients to participate actively in directing their therapeutic journeys. Amelia Balik,
0: MMT, MTA, RP, studied music at the University of Toronto where she used tuba as her primary instrument and performed in various ensembles prior to pursuing a career in music therapy. Her clinical experience includes working with a variety of clients including traumatic brain injury, developmental delays, mental health, and geriatric care.
1: Jessica Nielsen completed her Master's of Music Therapy and Bachelor's of Music Composition at Wilfrid Laurier University and is currently working on completing her CBT Level 2 and obtaining her Psychotherapy License. She uses various flutes, her voice, the piano, guitar, drums, and acoustic and electroacoustic composition to help her clients express themselves through music.
0: Jodi Speck is an accredited music therapist and wedding photographer living and working in the Barrie area. She works with older adults in long-term care, adults with special needs and children with autism
1: and is passionate about using music to foster meaningful and authentic connections. Caitlin Wheaton holds a Bachelor of Music Therapy from Acadia University and completed her internship with HeartSparks Music Therapy in 2019. Caitlin is a dedicated self-learner and an active flautist who enjoys utilizing her flute in her music therapy practice. Tori Zimmerman
0: is a music therapist from Embracing Abilities in Avon, Indiana. Tori has practical experience working with autism spectrum disorders, Alzheimer's and dementia patients, teenagers admitted to an inpatient behavioral health unit, and mothers in the NICU at Riley Children's Hospital, and
1: individuals with other intellectual and developmental disabilities. Thank you to all of our panelists for being willing to share their stories. Join us as we dive into this conversation about using woodwind and brass instruments in music therapy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Able Voice podcast with Haley and Kim. Hello. Today, we are so excited to be joined by a panel of guests today, six people who have graciously offered their time to chat with us about using woodwind and brass instruments in music therapy. So we're excited to have Jessica Nielsen, Amelia, Caitlin Beeb, Jodie Speck, Tori Zimmerman, and Caitlin Wheaton. Hello, everybody. So we are going to start, as we always do, just by asking about your journey to music therapy. We're so interested in, in learning a little bit more about how everybody fell into this profession. Um, we all have different unique stories that are are really incredible to hear and can serve as inspiration for people considering getting into the profession. So. Jess, can you tell us a little bit about how you became a practicing music therapist? Yay. Thank you, Jess. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. We're so interested to hear more from you.
0: Yes. Thank you, Jess, so much. Um, Let's toss it over to Amelia now. Can you share with us a little bit about your journey?
2: Yeah, sure. So I studied music at the University of Toronto. My primary instrument is the tuba. Um, If you're wondering why tuba, um, I initially wanted to play trumpet because that was my mom's instrument when she was a kid. And they told me my lips were too big, which turns out that's not a real thing. But I switched into the tuba, then pursued it in university. My goal was to study music history and get into historical music compositions and things like that. But quickly at the University of Toronto, they started doing the music and health program. And I just jumped into some of those classes, which then put me on the train, I guess, into music therapy. So I pursued my master's in music therapy at Laurier in 2015. And then since then, I've been working in long term care and in mental health settings, as well as a children's hospital using music therapy.
0: Incredible. Amelia, I'm so excited to have you here. Amelia and I actually did our Masters of Music Therapy program together. So I got a little bit of behind the scenes insight into her use with the tuba. I'm excited to hear a little bit more about that, that journey and experience.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> when I think when I think about it too, but it's not the first instrument that comes to my <laughs> mind when you use in therapy. So I'm pumped to talk about that a little bit more. Let's pass it over to Caitlin Beave. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey?
3: Sure. Um, I started out as a music performance major actually at Western Carolina University, and I finished that degree program, and I kind of knew that something wasn't quite right. I liked the horn. I liked playing music and connecting with other people, but I didn't necessarily want to make my money as a performer. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I started seeking out some other things, and I was kind of pointed in the direction of music therapy by a few different people at a few different times. And so I decided to shadow a music therapist who worked in hospice and just fell in love with it right away. And so then I did an equivalency master's at Appalachian State. And I'm currently working in an intermediate care facility for adults diagnosed with intellectual and developmental disabilities.
1: Awesome, I'm so excited. We're crossing borders again. This is such the, like a fantastic part of, of doing this podcast is that we have been able to c- connect with people across Canada and across the US and it's just a pleasure to have you on.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really exciting. Okay, Jodi, will you share with us a little bit about your story?
4: Sure. I guess my journey kind of started uh, with my mom she works for a doctor and there was a music therapist in their practice who brought stories about music therapy to my mom and she would come home with all these stories from this music therapist and I knew before hearing the stories that I didn't want to perform and I didn't want to teach but I didn't know what else to do with music so I felt kind of stuck. And then she brought home these stories about music therapy. And I was like, well, that's what I want to do. And that was probably 11 years ago. So <laughs> all that time later, I'm still doing the thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I went to Laurier for the bachelor's in music therapy. My main instrument is the saxophone. And I also um, play flute and clarinet uh, sometimes. Yeah. So I had the privilege in high school to actually do a co-op with a music therapist. Uh, which really opened my eyes to the actual work and what it takes and which made it made me fall in love with it even more. Uh, and I actually was able to do my internship with that same person after school, which was a really, really great experience.
0: Wow. Yeah. You, you came full circle in that.
4: <laughs> but yeah, so now I work in Barrie, Ontario at a private practice doing all sorts of things in long-term care and um, adults with developmental disabilities and... Uh, kids with autism.
1: Beautiful. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, I love hearing these stories. Uh, Tori, can you tell us a little bit about your journey?
5: So I started my journey wanting to be a music educator. I went to Carmel High School and they have a very big band program there and I just fell in love with it the moment I joined their program. I was in marching band and jazz band. My primary instrument's flute, but I marched tuba. And then I played trombone and jazz band. So I kind of had a whole bunch of stuff going. And I knew that I wanted to do something with music, but once I got to the University of Indianapolis and started their education degree, realized something wasn't quite sitting the way I thought it should. So then I kind of did some exploration and ended up finding music therapy. And my original plan was to do an equivalency degree at a different school. But it kind of worked out that the University of Indianapolis started their music therapy program the year after I graduated. So I was able to kind of just sit right in as like, <laughs> the, first in, the first person to complete that program. Wow. So it was really exciting.
1: <laughs> yeah, the stars kind of aligned for you there.
5: It, it did. It was kind of like a nudge-nudge thing. They're like, hey, you're thinking about going to a different school for music therapy we're starting a program in August. You should, you should stay. (laughs) I was like, okay, that that makes sense. Instead of just going to a whole different school Uh
6: and
5: working with the people that I already knew and it worked really well. It was great.
1: Awesome. That's incredible. Thank you so much for being on. Mm -hmm.
0: Love it. All right. And Caitlin Wheaton.
7: Hi, everyone. Yeah, um, it's great to hear everyone's stories. Mine's a little different. I uh, started out in high school trying to figure out what I wanted to do and kind of thought about early childhood education because I loved working with kids, but also wanted to explore what music career options I could do as well. And my music teacher actually had a sister-in-law who was a music therapist. So that's kind of how I first learned about music therapy was through her and She kind of suggested it to me and proposed, you know, what I would have to do to be eligible for the program. So I actually started flute very late. That's my principal instrument in grade 11. So I started band then, and we did all kinds of private lessons and things to prepare for Acadia is where I went um, in Wolfville, Nova Scotia. <laughs> yeah, I, I went to school with Haley, actually. Uh, so that was really fun. And yeah, so it was kind of a different journey for me kind of starting out late um, with my band instrument, but it was kind of what I held on to is like my connection with music therapy and my preparation for music therapy. And so I did my undergrad at Acadia, and then I did my internship with HeartSparks Music Therapy here in Halifax. And now I work for HeartSparks Music Therapy and work with multiple populations and yeah, I just love it. It kind of combines both my passions of caring for others and using music. So it's been great so far. I work with all kinds of different people and it's always a new experience.
0: This is just so wonderful to hear all of your stories. I always get so excited and so intrigued because, I mean, I think Haley said this at the beginning. We're always so intrigued to see how people came to this journey. And even within this group of people, we have so many different paths, different ways to getting where we are today. So thank you, everyone, for sharing.
1: Yeah, it's, it's so individual. It's so unique, our, our path to this profession And I think there's a connection there between us all being musicians and our connections that we have to our principal instruments and our or our musicianship in general. And so we're here to talk a little bit about that um, and how it's it's different from the majority of practicing music therapists who tend to use voice, guitar and piano as their primary instruments within therapy spaces. We have this connection of using woodwind and brass instruments as well, which I think is a unique experience. And it's important to highlight that within the music therapy field, you can bring those instruments in and and use them successfully. So I want to go around our group today and just ask for you to talk a little bit about your use of woodwind and brass instruments. So I want to start by asking if you consider your woodwind or brass instrument your principal instrument, and if you do, how did this influence your music therapy program experience?
6: This is Jess. Um, I definitely consider flute to be my principal instrument. It's the one I have the most training on and the one I feel the most musical expressiveness and comfortable communi- communicating on with in sessions but it has such a special place in sessions in one-to-one and in co-therapy settings and it influenced uh, my music therapy program experience and the master's in music therapy because studying under Colin Andrew Lee which I know several others of you have studied with he's just so keen for you to express on your main instrument and he really encouraged me and talked about different instruments what they bring into the sessions so I think the flute brings like a beautiful tone similar to the Mm-hmm. and helps clients feel grounded and calm and with breath work. So, yeah, I, I think the flute is the way I speak most comfortably with clients in improvisation. I try to use it in sessions where it's appropriate
1: I love that. That's beautiful how you compared it to the the use of the human voice and how there's that connector there for you with the human breath. And yeah, there's there's probably a lot of similarities across all of these instruments because of that same quality and in the way that we have to play using using lots of our breath and support. That's beautiful, Jess. Thank you for sharing.
2: Yeah, this is Amelia. I'm just going to jump off of what Jessica said. I think the use of our breath is so important regardless of our instruments so uh, that's definitely one unique thing that we can do with our with our wind instruments in sessions For my experience i did use tuba as my primary instrument going into my program and i was really excited even you know in my audition they were like oh how exciting a tuba player it's so <laughs> unique in music therapy and that was really exciting but then as i began you know with our clinical internships i realized that it's not always accessible to bring in this giant instrument. You know, I have a tuba on my backpack, in my giant tuba backpack, and, you know, it's 40 pounds carrying it around on my back, and unlike the flute, it's it's a quite a huge barrier between my clients and I, and, you know, it's, it's heavy, and it's large and loud, so it's an interesting challenge almost to include it, because, again, like you said, Jessica, I think that it is my expressive instrument. You know, I really feel like it's my voice in so many ways, but I don't always get to use my voice in sessions because of the physical challenges of using it. So it's been yeah, an interesting, uh, almost battle for me, like wanting to use it, but not always having the access for it or mm-hmm. it not always being appropriate or beneficial for our clients. Right. So that being said, I think maybe we'll jump into this more, but I think the co-therapy model can be really helpful for some of our instruments to make it accessible and to, to make it beneficial for everyone. I would say primarily now, though, I, I would use my voice the most in sessions where I'm working. But, you know, I'd always love to bring the tuba in when mm-hmm. appropriate.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, we'll definitely jump into that co-therapy versus individual therapy model, because I think you're right. It um, it has different applications and different challenges or barriers.
1: Yeah, And in everything we do as music therapists, I think is very intentional for our clients. And especially when you're bringing in a woodwind or brass instrument, you have to bring it in intentionally with purpose for the benefit of that that session and that client, and that is something that's unique to this process as well. But it's so beautiful when we actually do have an opportunity where it will serve the client's goals, and and we're able to bring it in with us. I can't imagine lugging around a tuba <laughs> <laughs> from from right. like facility to facility, but I, I can definitely um, empathize with that trucking journey of like being I think most of us music therapists can probably relate to being bag ladies or at some point (laughs) a bag people at some point and (laughs) I guess I'm 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 just like picturing Amelia you traveling with your tuba on top of all of the other things that we have to lug around yeah and if
2: I can add in my first one day placement my co-therapist was a cello player so here we are a tuba a cello both (laughs) carrying it on our backs plus one guitar and plus a bag of instruments and some drums to this (laughs) facility that we were going to it just seemed impossible like this is not you know we had to take up a whole room just for our cases of our instruments and our bags so it's such a strange thing right
1: (laughs) that's awesome (laughs) how about you caitlin
2: Yeah,
3: um, I definitely agree with what has been said so far. I do consider the my primary instrument is the French horn. I'm not Mm -hmm. sure if I said that earlier, Um, but I do consider it to be my principal instrument and the most connected to who I am as a person and what my inner voice sounds like, um, how I imagine that. And it's interesting because when I first started thinking about music therapy, I was told by several people that the horn was not a therapeutic instrument. And that I would probably never bring it into session. And so I shied away from that for a while. And then when I finally decided to bring it in, I saw how huge of an impact it can have when you bring something in so intentionally and that's so connected to yourself. Um, And I saw a huge increase in the engagement and vocalizations and just like the exploration of the range of your voice. When using that to improvise with people, and so from then on, I decided it was a therapeutic instrument, and that I could bring it in.
1: Yes, I love that. From then on, I decided it yes. was a therapeutic instrument. I don't know why there's this barrier in in some schools of thought that we can't bring in these instruments and then be effective, because they absolutely can. We just have to explore the ways that that becomes possible, and it's absolutely doable. I love that sentiment. I decided it was a therapeutic instrument. I'm going to take that with me.
0: <laughs> yeah, I really like that a lot. How about you, yeah, Jody? I would agree
4: with all of that. Um, I definitely consider the saxophone to be my primary instrument. More specifically, like, playing classical saxophone music. That's mm-hmm. kind of my jam. I don't know, just playing that style of music on that instrument, I just feel at home there, and I feel... Like, I can express myself the best there, probably because I have the most training on that instrument. So, it doesn't really become about the the notes or the fingerings. It's just playing music, and it's such a beautiful thing. I mean, in school, be, being a saxophone player, you're encouraged a lot to do improv. And that has definitely shaped my approach to music therapy. Um, all through school, I did a couple jazz improv courses over the summer that greatly impacted how I viewed improv and how to interact with clients in that way and how to build a worthwhile musical experience through improv and also like the type of music that you play as a saxophone player at university it's all 20th century music and it's all very strange <laughs> and <laughs> uh, most of it my my prof would call it pantonal music. So like the tonality never stays kind of like in the same pocket the whole time. So it's always changing and it always evokes like different emotions throughout the entire thing. And I love that. And it's definitely sparked a kind of a, an interest in using unconventional ways, unconventional tonalities to reach clients in different ways, because sometimes major keys or minor keys don't always work mm-hmm. and using a different mode or a different scale can reach them more than ever before so mm-hmm.
6: yeah. yes uh.
1: oh yes <laughs> yeah it's so funny um because you're saying that and like i'm, I'm thinking about like my improv classes on piano and i'm like Some of those skills are very transferable to our woodwind and and brass instruments. We can definitely do some of those things and use those different modes and and, um, kinds of tonalities to evoke emotion or to connect or match whatever somebody's doing in a therapy session. And I think we just need to talk about it more. So like this just excites me that we're getting this conversation going and in a place that's gonna be accessible for people to hear. How about you Tori? What's been your experience?
6: So, my experience is I definitely consider my flute to be my primary instrument. I've been playing it for 15 years and with 15 years comes practice. You, you know your instrument after that. Mm-hmm. So, in my music therapy program, the director of our program, she's also a flute player. So, mm-hmm. when I started, it was me and one other flute player, so all three of us played flute, and she encouraged us to use our primary instruments immediately. So it was in our first and second practicums that she's like, yeah, what are you, you going to play your flute on today? What are you, what, How are you going to bring it into the session? So being able, like, supported from just day one and hearing how Jan Stridman, that's the director of our music therapy program, hearing how she's utilized her flute in her career so far, and then passing it on to us and how she's used it in practicums and everything's just been really exciting because I didn't really see flute as a music therapy instrument. When I first learned, it was always, oh, you need to learn guitar, you need to sing, you need to play piano. And all three of those things were weak in comparison to my flute. Mm -hmm. Learning guitar took way longer than I thought it would for me, but it's come such a long way. It's awesome now. I love it. But it's still, in the beginning, instead of singing a song, I would choose to use my flute because I could utilize the expression that I've spent so many years practicing and putting into this instrument mm-hmm. that with certain songs, I felt like I could express the feeling I was trying to get more with my instrument than with a guitar and singing.
0: Yeah. That's really great to hear that you were encouraged right off the get-go um, and that there were others within your program because having those people to be able to connect with and figure out, okay, how do I use this instrument therapeutically that perhaps isn't traditionally seen um, as not the guitar or the piano or the voice? Um, So I know it can be challenging sometimes when we're studying and we're seeing everything being demonstrated on piano or guitar or outside of that instrument. So it's really encouraging to hear that you were right from the get-go told, this is your instrument, there's that representation, and, and let's figure out how to use it therapeutically
6: at it, Jana Shrutman, she says, like, you put this much time into this instrument, you should be able to utilize it in your profession. It's like, just because you decided to be a music therapist doesn't mean you stop being a flute player.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, it's special when you have people that just get it, um, you know, and it, it it's like those people stick with you a whole lot more than the people that don't get it. And I think like Caitlin was talking about, you're going to have people on both ends of the coin, people that are going to tell you, um, are you sure you want to be a woodwind brass player and go into therapy? Like, they're not going to understand how that makes sense. Um, but then there are going to be people who encourage you along the way, and especially during your course of study, encourage you to use that instrument. I think that's really fantastic practice Um, at Acadia. We had two uh, professors that I really, really loved that encouraged me to bring my instrument into sessions. Tessa Wingate and Heather Price were really influential to my continued use of bringing my saxophone into sessions. And that was wonderful because without that, I probably wouldn't have bought it in after that fact. I needed that practice and to feel like it was okay to explore that within a therapy setting in that non-traditional sense. So that was really wonderful. And Caitlin, you also went to Acadia. I'm wondering if you had a similar experience with your flute.
7: Yeah, um, I think it's a pleasure to work with Tessa. I heard lots of great things about her, but I did, I uh, get to learn from Heather Price and she's a wonderful person and therapist and yeah, very encouraging. We always would have improvisation sessions and she would just say, you know, like bring whatever instrument you feel comfortable on, but like really encouraged us to use our principal instrument to kind of just play around with it in a safe place and learn how we could utilize it in our own practice. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's interesting because I know there's other therapists on my team that also play the flip, they don't use it because I think they've had bad experiences before. As we know, like sometimes it can be beneficial, sometimes it can't. And depending on how you're using it, I think it's a really big key to it. So it's interesting that, you know, there's all this knowledge and you might want to play it, but then some others might not want to. So for me, I've always had positive experience with the flute. Um, Like I mentioned before, it was kind of like my go-to, but I actually learned guitar first and sang a lot and would do a lot of songwriting. So I've actually played the guitar longer than I've played my flute, but I still find that both are kind of equal in a way, but the flute is just so more versatile for just doing all kinds of different things. Like I don't often play classical music I find anymore. I kind of Play around with like common tunes and melodic kind of lines for people or doing fun trills or something fun like that if i'm working with kids and just kind of showing it off as something new and different and i think that's how i've always approached it of just kind of showing off my instrument and showing what it can do and all the different things that it can be used for is what i kind of started out with my practicum with just encouragement of you know, bring your instrument, see what you can do with it, Um, and I think there's just so many different ways that we can utilize it from, like for myself anyway, the flute I've always used for kind of relaxation, but then also kind of fun, upbeat stuff, like you can go either way with it, there's so many different tones and such, so yeah, it was a really positive experience for me in my undergrad, I had more instruments to learn, because then we had to learn five (laughs) instead of four, so we kind of put that on ourselves, but. I think it was worth it because then we do have something interesting and something different aside from the other therapists, and I think we should embrace that. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it's um, it's a very unique tool to have in your toolkit to bring into to sessions for sure. I love I love that you mentioned that um, you kind of show it off a little bit or find that kind of fun, playful element within your sessions. I think that's so interesting because. I mean, you're right, a lot of these kids or adults or people that we work with may never have experienced a flute or a tuba or a French horn. And so how special to be able to connect in that way as well. and I'm a Canadian singer-songwriter and certified music therapist. Music has always been my form of expression. I write songs and improvise to help me process or to simply feel whatever it is I'm feeling, challenging or exciting. This deep connection to music is what ultimately led me to my work as a music therapist, and my work as a therapist is what led me back to my own music. I was craving that outlet for my own self-care and fulfillment, and I'm so grateful to have this platform to be able to do so and to share it with all of you. Album Porcelain Doll is now available everywhere so head to your favorite streaming platform and give it a listen. You can also visit basementworldrecords.com to purchase the full album. Follow me on Instagram at Kimberly Music to stay connected and we'll see you there.
3: Now let's get back to the episode.
0: All right. So we want to, I want to go back to this element of how we actually use it in session. And so um, I'm curious if each of you can share with us your experience using your instrument um, in both a co-therapy setting, uh, as well as an individual therapy or therapist setting, because I imagine it looks a little bit different. Um, so we'll go around again. And, and Jess, maybe we can start with you again. Start
6: with using the flute co-therapy sessions. I've used it in Experiential sessions where I lead the music side, um, like a guided relaxation exercise, and my co-therapist might be reading a script, and I have a classical, trained background, so I might be taking from a classical piece or improvising based on what's being said, so that's one way I used to play with a co-therapist. Another way is in a group setting, where uh, we're doing a one-to-one instrumental play in groups, and I'm the one improvising and communicating with the client musically. And my co-therapist is doing hand over hand, if it's with an ocean drum, helping move the instrument with the client. or encouraging playing. And yeah, I'm, I'm expressing with them, talking with them musically that way. I, I love it it's the flute in group settings, where it's a lot of interventions using guitar and piano, and then all of a sudden you bring in the flute. <laughs> feel the energy change in the room and the focus comes a bit more piercing to control the energy sessions. too. In one-to-one therapy sessions, I have a beautiful memory of working with a client with a dementia, and I was. it was my first time meeting her, and she she was a prominent singer in her lifetime, and I was trying to connect with her with my voice and the guitar and piano and singing. Familiar songs with her, and that was she was interested, but it wasn't that connection that I thought we could have. And then I brought up my flute and I played the melody of the songs, and all of a sudden, the words came right back to her. She was singing in full melodic sentences, and something about the flute's tone and us taking breaths together and being able to have that eye contact because the flute isn't a huge barrier between you and the client really connected. So mm-hmm. I, I love that moment. Uh, other ways is uh, the flute, kind of like piano forehands, but using the therapist using the breath and the client pressing down on the keys. That's a nice way to connect with the client who's not ready to fully have a voice on their own in music yet. And yeah, another way is improvising with the client's main instrument and expressing on my main instrument beneficial.
0: <laughs> so you've you've been able to to use your flute pretty successfully in both of those settings.
6: Uh, yeah, I I guess unlike other instruments of flight, so I always bring it with me, and <laughs> it's just something that I I encourage myself to use in sessions, just because I do
2: find
1: it beneficial. That's awesome, Jess. Thank you. <laughs> How about you, Amelia?
2: Yeah, I think it's cool, Jess, again, what you said about letting the clients press the buttons, because you have so many, and your instrument is so light, and for me as a tuba player, right, my tuba sits on my lap, so they can press the buttons, and I'm not worried about it falling down or anything, so when you said that, my thought was like, oh my goodness, that to me that almost seems scary, Um, (laughs) but I think that's so cool, so anyways, I just wanted to acknowledge that. For me, I predominantly would... Not only, but I mostly just use it in a co-therapy setting, the tuba. Simply, as I mentioned earlier, it's so large. It, you know, if a client has mobility issues, you know, I can't Mm -hmm. put my instrument down really quickly and help them if they're moving around the room or something like that. So I typically, in my experience, have almost solely been using a co-therapy model with my instrument. I have done individual, which I can mention later, but... Within the co-therapy setting, it's been really cool working at a children's hospital. I work at Holland Bloorview in Toronto, and my clinical supervisor when I was a student there first, Andrea Lamont, was really great at encouraging me to use my tuba as my voice. Uh, So what that meant was, you know, on the complex care unit, it meant me walking around the room. There's, you know, four clients in one room, so I'd be walking around with the tuba and playing and typically what we would do is we'd my co-therapist would be cording on the bottom so I could improvise. Uh, they'd be singing and cording at the same time, whatever it is. And then we would just really get close in with the clients and they would feel the b- vibration of the tuba. And that was something really significant for a lot of them. And I'm sure a lot of you have experienced that as well. Just when they can really feel it and really feel it in their whole body, I think is so different than just visually feeling it or seeing it. So that's been a really cool experience. And I think it took a lot of encouragement from my colleagues to get me to do it just because, you know, it doesn't always seem practical. Mm -hmm. Uh, But sometimes the things that aren't practical make the biggest effect. And, you know, with some of these clients, I just remember, you know, this one client opening her eyes for the first time in a while and really responding and moving her body in a way that they hadn't seen in a few years um, when I brought the tuba in. And I just think those are really special moments where we should that should motivate us to continue to use our instruments in that way. So anyways, that's been pretty cool. I think also with the vibrations, I've worked with some clients that are significantly hearing impaired. So, you know, often an ocean drum can be really effective because they can see and feel it. But, you know, sticking this, you know, little four-year-old's feet on my tuba and playing really (laughs) low notes can be really fun or creating a rhythm on it where they're, you know, suddenly it's a whole different experience for them in music. I don't know. I think those are just some really special moments that make it so motivating. Again, like I said, to use the tuba or our instruments. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, though I would say co-therapy for me has been particularly helpful just because of the practical sense of the instrument. But there's definitely been settings one-on-one where um, the tuba, because you know, I can go. I'm going five ledger lines below the bass clef. It's it's low. It's it's heavy. It's loud. And you know, if a, if a child's hitting a big drum and i'm following it with the music and i'm creating a melody out of their their percussion playing i think that can be something so special for them and you know maybe they're dancing around the room as i'm creating a bass line or you know the common one like play the veggie tales theme song (laughs) That's, that's always a good one too but um i think there's so much uh versatility that can go with that instrument so Yeah, I don't know. It's really fun playing it on my own. But I think I'm, I'm more confident when I have someone there in the room with me. And again, at Home Blurview, I'm pretty lucky because I have students that are that are present in sessions sometimes too. So I think that gives me a bit more freedom, where they can support the client school area as well. I can add to the music with my with my instrument.
1: That's incredible. There's so much that both Jess and Amelia just shared that I'm just like drawing so much motivation for moving forward in general. It's just like, there's more than just that auditory and social connection that are reasons for bringing in these instruments. There's like the tactile elements of being able to feel um, the instrument and, and explore something new in that way. But also that associative memory piece of like being able to to connect with just a simple melody line um, on the flute, or being reminded of a childhood cartoon when you yeah, bring yeah. in that big instrument, it's just so wonderful that these things are attached to these experiences of us bringing these woodwind instruments and brass instruments into sessions. Yes, I absolutely agree. I'm so excited by
0: everything that's been shared so far. Oh. And I'm not even a woodwind instrument player. <laughs> Maybe I should start. Caitlin B., how how about you? What has your experience been um, in co-therapy versus individual?
3: Yeah, um, well, I've mostly had opportunities to bring in my horn in group settings, but also they've been large groups where I was the only therapist or staff in the room. So I think that's kind of an interesting dynamic to have had. I used it mostly um, improvisationally, and I found with those specific people, it was really important that we have a container of sound, and then I would improvise on top of that. Um, So I often would create these backing tracks. We had a little garage band iPad. And so I would put it on loop and create something really quick in the moment and then push play. So it would just keep going until I told it to stop. (laughs) Um, And I would improvise over top of that. And I could go and have these little individual moments with people. The folks that I was working with needed assistance to play instruments. And so we really just improvised based on our voices and our body movements And I found that that was really a special way for us all to connect. They really seemed to enjoy it. And there was lots of laughter and smiling and dancing in those sessions. And lots, like other people have said, lots of sensory engagement. Some folks would start moving their feet for the first time in forever because they could feel the vibrations being pointed down at their feet from the bell of the horn. Um, Some people started singing in ranges of their voice that they didn't know existed because the sound of the instrument just inspired them to go down there and see what it felt like. It was just a really interesting kind of way to be with people. Times when I've had a co-therapist it I think has brought even more possibilities Because then I have someone who can help facilitate for people who need physical support to hold an instrument. And then that person could also be providing an additional sound container. So maybe Mm -hmm. the music could be more fluid and changing based on what people in the room are bringing rather than like a stagnant backing track loop that I created. So I've had equal success in both, maybe just like different intention and different formatting for whether I'm alone or whether I have other folks in the room helping. Yeah.
1: Different intention and different format. <laughs> I think that's the summary of all of our uses of instruments in, in sessions. It's incredible to hear all of these stories.
4: Yeah. Uh, I definitely have equal experience in both um, co-therapy and individual therapy um, uses. I would actually say that I use my clarinet and flute more often than my saxophone. Um, reasons being that saxophone is very heavy and loud and takes a long time to set up mm-hmm. where the flute and clarinet, it you can just whip it together and it's, yeah. I have used the saxophone in a number of settings, particularly with more energetic clients. There's been a couple where I've brought in like big rototoms and they'll just like play on them and I'll improvise over whatever they're doing. But in terms of like co-therapy, Most of the time I would do this in my internship, but my internship supervisor would play guitar and sing and I would take the clarinet and I would improvise lines to accompany the music as we would go around with clients. And also she would flip it and she would hold instruments for clients while I would improvise. That's probably one of my favorite things to do in a co-therapy setting is, is that improv And having that support from your co-therapist to work with the client while you work with your instrument, because it's hard to do both at the same time. (laughs) And in terms of like one-to-one, I use it more often for like receptive methods and relaxation. I've used it a couple times for name that tune type stuff in long-term care, which has always been a great hit just because it's such a unique instrument. And most of the time they don't know what it is or they've never seen one before. It's, it's been years since I've seen an instrument and they just find it so neat. Um, and I find that it engages so much more than just using your voice and other one-to-one clients I've had with um, with special needs. And I found that we could reach our goals a lot faster when I used woodwind instruments because the timbre of the instrument was so different than anything they've ever heard before that it, it just sparks their attention. And I just find that such a useful tool, especially if you feel stuck.
1: It's just, yeah. It's unique that you have this versatility of being able to use multiple kinds of woodwind instruments. You said clarinet, saxophone, and trombone? Flute. Flute. Oh my goodness. Yeah, that's a wide range of instruments that you could bring in with sessions. And each one, as we've heard from everybody else, can be used in different ways. And and that's very special. I can resonate with that. I don't know if I actually have shared this yet in this episode, but I, my first instrument was the trumpet. When I was six years old, I started playing the trumpet. And as I got older, I think similar to Amelia, um, somebody had told me that I can't play the saxophone and play the trumpet at the same time because the umperture would, it would ruin my lips. And so I switched to a bigger mouthpiece and started playing the E flat horn and my saxophone. And I can resonate with you, Jodi, just about bringing the saxophone into sessions. It does take quite a while to put together and warm up. Um, I think reed instruments take quite a while to warm up and you have to have so much preparation. It's not like you can just whip it out and it be ready for your session. Um, There's so much warming up that needs to happen there. So I've also played around with like bringing in a soprano saxophone to sessions, which I had options to do in university. I don't own a soprano saxophone. I would love to one day, but having that versatility is definitely a great addition to that woodwind brass uh, toolkit. All right, let's pass the mic to Tori. I've used my flute
6: in a wide range of co-treatment group settings and individual. So. Co therapy, I've done it with um, kind of like what Jess mentioned, like improvising with the ocean drum. In my internship, my internship director had a like agreement with an autism center that we would go to every week, and we would do group music therapy settings. And he had me one time just improvise on like a pentatonic scale while they were playing with the ocean drum. And after like high music making, everyone was like really amped up and excited, and then we kind of did. Yeah, relaxation towards the end, and we added the flute and everything, and it was really cool to see. Like all these kids were about like five to ten, so like they're high energy, high energy. And then like after our after our um, improvising and ocean drumming, everyone seemed to just kind of mellow out a little bit, and I thought that was really interesting to see. I've used relaxation, so like just improvising on flute in one on one and, and co therapy settings. One-on-one settings are kind of where I use my flute more often. I have a intervention that I learned in my internship called Conductor. And I've kind of modified it to work with my flute because I have a baton and I'll teach my clients how to like wave the baton and I like play to match them. So if they're like in the air, I'm playing super loud, if they're down low, playing super quiet, if they're fast, I'm trying to match them and using that in sessions. It's just like a fun, engaging activity that seems to be like we're both dialed into each other because they're trying to make me do these silly things. <laughs> <laughs> and I love doing that with them. Um, I've done adapted lessons in my internship. There was a middle schooler who was just learning how to play the flute, so she would bring it in and you would do like half music therapy session, half adapted lesson. And then one of my favorite things that I'm still working on, but I've had one amazing example of it. In my internship, a flute player named Hannah Donnellan, she's a music therapist as well, she taught me this thing called I Think, I Feel, I Wonder. Mm-hmm. And you. I use it while playing like a classical piece of music. There's one called Dance de la Chavra, which is Dance of the Goat for flutes. And I'll use it and I kind of like play through the song and there's like a slow part and then there's like a jaunty little dancing part. And I'll ask my clients, like, what do you think's happening? What do you feel like happening? What do you wonder? And we've been able to kind of make a story about this goat. There was one client who's like, oh, he's sleeping. And then he wakes up and gets really excited because it's sunny outside and starts dancing. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, oh, my gosh. All independent thoughts and just based off of a classical flute piece. So I plan to use that more in my future, but with COVID and everything, I've been kind of raining back on the flute
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's understandable. So cool. I love the different applications that you've had.
6: I, I love it. I also like um, introducing the flute as like, this is the flute. Here are the pieces of it. This is mm-hmm. where you can hear it. So it's kind of like a, how many times do you get to be like up close and personal with like a flute or like Amelia's tuba? like? those are unique experiences that like most music therapists that just play guitar and piano and singing might not be able to have the access to be like oh here's a flute Mm
0: -hmm. yeah that exposure to things that they might not otherwise get to experience and what a cool way to be able to bring that in and to to have fun with it within session too i love it so much
7: Similar to Tori. I've done a lot of similar things, so it kind of brought me back to some experiences that I've had with my flute. Now with the co-therapy sessions, it was mostly with my internship supervisor that I would do it. But yeah, lots of relaxation, improvisation is what we've heard already. Um, yeah, the flute's so good for that. That's kind of where I started with it, was just kind of playing around with it. So I've done the conductor with children, get them to like raise their hands up and down, play high notes and low notes, and they just think it's so funny. Yeah, and they're so interested in it. And I would kind of, yeah, do like a show and tell, like, oh, like, does anyone know what this instrument is? And then I'd put it together and they'd be like, oh, like, I know what it is. Or then some of them wouldn't know if it was maybe long term care they haven't seen it in a while and so it's yeah it's something new something exciting to share and for relaxation I tend to play a lot of just very well-known pieces kind of like at an end of a session in my internship for would play guitar and sing and I would kind of harmonize or play the melody to like Danny Boy or my Bonnie Lies Over the Ocean just to kind of wrap things up and yeah for one-to-one I've tried to make my own interventions with the flute so i've done a name that tune as well where i've kind of came up with song books and had little picture icons and song names like very well known like danny boy my bonnie you are my sunshine and would play the melody on my flute and then get them to guess you know did you know what that song was and i kind of use it for all populations and then they would guess and then we would sing together and play it together, and they could kind of follow along in the songbook. So that's been one thing that I've made, and especially for my flute, and then as well as like the relaxation piece, pentatonic scales I've used, just doing some like PMR and kind of deep breathing, improvisation response. Yeah, there's just so many possibilities to it, and yeah, learning different kind of scales. Like I've learned an Arabic scale because I was working with clients who were originally from the Middle East. So it just kind of gives you those possibilities as well of learning different types of music and scales. Um, That might be a little bit more challenging to kind of (laughs) sing or play on guitar. So yeah, that's kind of how I used my flute. So yeah, I used it a lot whenever I can, but obviously right now we can't. So it's kind of sad. I'm like, kind of feel like I'm missing something right now when I go into person sessions and I can't have my flute on me or people ask about my flute and I'm like, oh, I can't bring it in. So that's kind of one bittersweet moment right now. But yeah, I'm always using my flute whenever I can.
1: Yeah, yeah. You bring up a great point that leads us into our next discussion topic and maybe we'll continue with you, Caitlin and go in reverse order this time talking a little bit how, about how it is different right now in this season of what feels like forever, of online sessions and few and far between in-person sessions. What has been your experience using your instrument in these two kind of worlds that we're in, online versus in-person sessions?
7: Yeah, it's uh, definitely been a shift, as all of us have realized, uh, yeah, big learning curve to be able to do virtual sessions. I feel like I'm getting the hang of it now. It's taken a while, but <laughs> kind of in the groove. So I was doing virtual sessions for a while there, and then I was able to go in person um, to the nursing home in the hospital that I'm working at come October. So I did have quite a bit of time in between. That was just, you know, the odd virtual session. So I used my flute kind of same as I would um, when I was in person, so I kind of played those games. I have one client in particular that I used to do relaxation and that named that too, that I was able to still facilitate virtually, which was great. And then, yeah, in the hospital, the nursing home, I unfortunately I would typically bring it in and do kind of like relaxation things or just bring it in for something different, but I can't right now. So, yeah, it's kind of made me think different ways that I can utilize those activities and adapt them for my different instruments or, yeah, maybe thinking of possibilities of recording myself at home, playing the flute for those kind of name that tune, melodic ones, because it's a lot easier to pick that up than me trying to like hum the tune or sing on la, like it's a lot more pleasant to have the flute. So I think I might try something like that. But yeah, it's definitely been a shift for me because yeah, I would always like, you know, guitar on the back, you got your bag of shakers, and then I always had my flute in there as well. Uh, So yeah, it's a lot different, but still finding ways that I can use it and glad that I can still use it Virtually, because one thought was, oh, is this going to be too loud if I'm, you know, right by a microphone? Like, how are they going to have a pleasant experience with this? But it's still been positive and, yeah, it's still working, which is great.
0: Yeah, that's really great to hear because I think, um, like you said, it, it's really shifted and, and challenged our way of being able to operate or to to use those instruments. So it's great to hear that you're still able to incorporate it in, in some ways in this time. Mm-hmm. Tori, you had also mentioned not being able to use your flute right now. Uh, what, has, what has it been like for you in this time? So,
6: I've kind of had an interesting music therapy journey. Um, this is my, I've been certified for just a little over a year. So, my first year started with December to March in person sessions, and then we went purely virtual. So there was, like, a huge, like, okay, how am I going to do this? How am I going to incorporate everything that I've done in person to virtual? Because it was such a new thing. Mm-hmm. Um, originally, I kind of strayed away from my flute because of the same thing that Caitlin said. I was worried it would be too loud. I was worried that, like, I could only play in, like, the middle register. Because if I, like, threw in a high note, that it would, like, destroy their ears. And it would be too loud and just be unpleasant. And I didn't really want to do that. So... I kind of, the first round of virtual, I kind of strayed away from it, and then in July, I was able to transition back to in-person, and then in November, back to virtual. <laughs> <laughs> so since November, though, I have been working on like recording myself playing like Name That Tune things, and then I know how it sounds prior to playing it for them. So it's kind of like, it's not live playing, but I'll be like, oh, I recorded these things yesterday and then kind of play it for them. They do need that tune. And then I've also done more with like professional flute players kind of be like, these are the people that I like. What's something that you liked? Kind of just introducing the like, we do something different with flute, but this is how other people use their
1: flute. I love that. Bringing in other forms of technology into this realm of virtual sessions. <laughs> I think getting used to recording ourselves is something that is a, a new toolkit that um, people are, are getting used to in this time because we can use it, like you said, to to know what to expect in terms of, you know, there's this certain threshold of sounds that we're scared about in online virtual sessions with instruments that have such great resonance. And so yeah, it's, it, that's a, a great precautionary act, to record yourself before and to adjust the sound level so that it is comfortable for whoever is on the receiving end of that. What about you, Jody? I, I, I bet it's interesting if you would have bought your clarinet or, or a saxophone into sessions. Have you been able to do that virtually at all?
4: Um, not too much, Again, as it's been said before, that I'm just so worried about the sound feedback and mm-hmm. I don't know how it sounds on the other end. I have tried it once with a nursing home like that we did virtually and they said that they couldn't hear it at all. So oh. that kind of actually really discouraged me from using it since then. I just, it, it scares me a lot that they can't hear it. Yeah. It's actually something I'm going to be working on this week is to figure out how to get that back up and running. Because I loved all those ideas that were just said before about recording yourself and playing that back. I think that's such a wonderful idea to still use your instrument. Yeah, but I haven't been using it much just because of the online barrier. and I don't like the unknowns too much, so and often they don't really give you like sound feedback. <laughs> They're just kind of like haha. It's great, but when it's not, so, Yeah. yeah, it's kind of a work in progress right now.
0: Yeah. I think that's a really important piece too. I think we often focus on how to be safe and and, and ethical and, and aware of our music and our sessions. And this is a whole new world, a whole new barrier of like, yeah, what are these frequencies? How are they coming through in the computer? What are they doing for our clients? Are they causing harm? Or, and, and so I think your fear of wanting to use that is so valid and really, really important. And yeah, yeah. I just think it's important that we are aware of that and, and, it's just this weird barrier that we're needing to explore that I think we we probably hadn't really considered before.
1: Mm-hmm. And when you think about using your woodwind or brass instruments in session at all, like there's already a learning curve there about how we use it um, in sessions. And so adding this additional factor is like, okay, there's nobody here to teach us the right way to do this. Yeah. We have to kind of figure it out on our own, which is another reason why I think this conversation will be so important for people to listen and tune into
0: mm-hmm yeah I agree
1: Caitlin how about you and your your horn how how have you found virtual sessions have you been doing virtual sessions at all
3: I've done a couple but because I work at a residential facility we don't really have virtual sessions we kind of live in a place where we don't have internet. And so we can't really do virtual sessions. Um, I've, I've done it with one person. And so recently I've really just been exploring how to deal with some of these sound issues. And, like, I'd need um, a microphone and then you can share your sound through QuickTime, audio recording. Like, they're these just little tricks that I've recently just begun exploring as we've had more folks that can't make it to their sessions, but maybe I could get an iPad in there with them so that they could still receive it.
1: That's so interesting because we hear often from the music therapy groups online and stuff that, you know, this world of telehealth is going to be more accessible for people. And that's interesting to hear you say that it's been a barrier for Mm -hmm. sessions in some way. Very interesting.
3: It's been a huge barrier. And like we've had to use two therapists to facilitate every session because the staff in the buildings don't know how to use the technology either. Oh
0: man, what a time. How about for you, Amelia? What's it been like for you?
2: I'm really glad that a few of us have touched on risk of harm because I think that is something we have to be so aware of using technology anyway, but then on top of that, using our instruments. For me, I haven't used my tuba at all. Quite frankly, I don't. I haven't been able to figure out how it would be effective, uh, especially with the register I play at. Mm -hmm. But on top of that, I live in a condo (laughs) and my neighbors don't like noise. So even then, you know, I am doing sessions and I'm laying blankets on the floor. So and, you know, all the windows are obviously closed. But, you know, I'm, I'm so aware of the sound that I'm creating just with my voice and my guitar because they have come upstairs and banged on the door and said, stop. And I'm like, well, I'm in a session. Well, you know, that's not actually how it happened. But, you know, they're they're very aware of sound. So even from a privacy sake, from a, you know, from all those reasons, I choose not to use my tuba just because, you know, I can't practice in here. So I can't run a session in here either. So yeah, sadly, I haven't used it online, though truthfully, I, I was quite resistant anyway, because I do think there can be so many tech issues. And I... I'm not a technically skilled person, so I don't really feel equipped to handle those issues anyway. I do work with a client who plays violin, so we've been doing Zoom se- or whatever, online sessions, and I think it's interesting you mentioned it, Jody, about the sound, because there have been times where I can't hear my client, but I can see that they're playing. So being aware of all of these technical issues and clipping and all that stuff, mm-hmm. I, I think it's so important to acknowledge, but I don't personally have a lot of feedback or experience with with
0: that i think sometimes we forget how many barriers there are here because not only like you said we're working with new technology and how do we use these instruments with all of these questions that we don't have answers to and like jody said without maybe getting the appropriate feedback from from how it's actually coming across for our clients but then on top of that great, how do we create an environment where we can use that, where these instruments perhaps are a little bit more loud or, yeah, challenging to implement. So yeah, lots lots of things to consider there.
1: Yeah. And, and, and you brought up a great point about how we are having to navigate our living spaces and our environments in which we're conducting these yeah. sessions, because, um, you know, Even I've had the thoughts of I wonder if people can hear me talking to this individual, let alone playing my instruments with these people, and they're so loud, and I feel like I'm disrupting the peace all around me. So I can only imagine what a tuba would bring into that, um, as well. So it's just like these are these are layers that um, you know it's new for us to navigate. We don't know how. It's like we don't have the answers, but it's important for us to talk about because I think that it is a valuable experience for our clients to have the opportunity to to see woodwind and brass instruments being used in therapy. It's just how do we do that in this new environment? Is it safe? How do we get over those barriers of technology and possible risk to our, our clients who, who may have difficulties on the other end, even simply by using this technology of being virtual. And so Jess, I know you also have a unique experience of this whole online world. Do you have anything to add to this discussion? I
6: haven't been able to do online sessions this time around COVID, just due to the safety of my clients and my living Um But I have used Zoom sessions previous when working with clients in the stroke and Parkinson's group and making my groups more accessible Outside, who weren't able to travel into the center I was working at. I didn't use my flute at that time to be honest due to other therapists I mentioned I was worried about the sound coming through and I found I had to be quite directive with working with groups through I presume using more speech therapy. But I'm very inspired by for example Haley, the programs you've been creating that are pre-recorded and they're interactive that kind of therapy Resource and Kim, I know you've been mentioning about things about looping pedals recently, and I that, that kind of inspired me to get out my looping pedal and try nice. some things with my food. So I, I think other therapists are being very inspiring that way and, and encouraging me to re- try different things. I, I'm in a creative mode for sure, and <laughs> I'm hoping to use that energy to help clients.
0: I love that in a creative mode. I think we all have to be like, it, that's that's one thing that is very unique about our field in general. Like we are creatives and we have to and we get to be creative in our, our work every day. But especially now with all of these different barriers and with all of your instruments, like you said, how do we actually incorporate those, it takes a, a little bit more of those creative juices, or, or perhaps looking to the other people in our field who are doing things that maybe give us a bit of inspiration that prompt us to find that creativity again, because I know it can be very
1: hard right now. Yeah, being creative. <laughs> <laughs> I think it comes, uh, it, 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 it's working new muscles for us, right? We're learning new skills that hopefully will have for a while and if anything god forbid if we go into another pandemic 20 years from now we'll know a little bit about how to navigate that again. <laughs> hopefully not. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but talking about the future, we like to end out every podcast episode just by asking about your hopes for the field of music therapy. And so if you can think of one or two sentences about your hope for the profession, whether that be related to woodwind and brass instrument playing and being incorporated into therapy or the wider, you know, discussion of what's going on in in our therapy world right now what are some of the hopes that you have for this profession
4: I can go first I mean one of my big hopes for the profession is that it is so well known of its benefits that everyone just knows what it is and is like oh this is an obvious solution to this problem that we don't have to advocate as much or as persistently or um, being up against such resistance sometimes that's what I would love to see long-term in terms of like woodwind instruments. I would love to see more universities, embracing people's musical instruments as their primary instrument, as like something that you can use in therapy and give them tools to do that. Not just like, Oh great. You play the flute, figure out how to use it. It's like they should give you tools of how to use that and how to be a well-rounded musician and therapist in that setting yeah
1: yeah that's interesting that's interesting i just had a thought of like Maybe, like, the clinical piano uh, improv class that they have at Acadia. Maybe, you know, in the future, they'll have a wood, band, and brass improv clinical, clinical improv awesome. class. That would be so awesome. And what an exciting way to also invite other therapists in who might not have that as their, their primary instrument, just to experience that and maybe get some co-therapy practice within that kind of, you know, safe space.
4: I know at Laurier, we did that everyone was encouraged in our improv class to take in their main instruments that's awesome so that was kind of a big thing there.
1: What about everybody else more hopes more hopes
6: I'm hoping that music therapy continues to gain the recognition that it deserves like across the board just because there isn't so much that we personally go through like the education the practicing all of like, We're very goal-oriented and client-based, and sometimes I think that gets lost in translation and people just think, oh, you sing songs, (laughs) and it's so, so much more than that. (laughs) And I also would love to see more encouragement for the primary instruments, just like Jody mentioned, just because in my experience, I didn't get the most experience with improv on my flute. So, like, I know a lot of classical stuff, I know a lot of interventions, but when it comes to just, like, improvising, that's still an area where I'm like, oh, this kind of feels strange, but just getting, like, past that and pushing
7: on. I can speak a bit more on that, yeah. I think definitely using um, your primary instrument more, and I think accessibility is a big one too, like we mentioned online, you know, might open up the field of music therapy, but then it also comes with challenges. But I think, yeah, just being able to use that, you know, we are able to do more sessions because we don't have to be there in person right now. So some ways it is helping the profession in that aspect of being able to be open to more people. Yeah, just like, I feel like government regulation is always a constant of just like being recognized and being able to like financially afford music therapy, I think is like on the top, you know, of hopes that we can always dream that one day we'll accomplish. So yeah, just kind of thinking of long-term kind of goals and yeah, possibilities for music therapy. That would be really exciting.
3: Um, I agree with this idea of like accessibility of music therapy And also continuing with our commitment to our authenticity as a field and what makes us unique Hmm. and special and different and really holding true to what makes music therapy, music therapy. Um, And I think that that's the best way for us to really shine as a profession. Hmm.
0: <laughs> I love hearing all of these hopes. It just inspires me so much and it's it's really lovely to get to connect with like-minded individuals and to have these conversations. Um, thank you so, so much for joining us for this conversation. I know I mentioned this briefly before, but I am not a brass or woodwind player. Um, I have some experience playing the trombone back in my high school days, but voice is very much my first instrument and I've always been really intrigued to hear about your experiences with with how to incorporate these instruments, because I think it's really important. And I just want to say thank you for being willing to come and have this conversation and to share it with our community, because as many of you mentioned, for your hopes for the future. um, Yeah, I think it's important that people are encouraged to use these instruments and that we see more diversity within the field. So yeah, it was really, really lovely to hear your stories.
1: Yeah. And if you want to connect more with these individuals that are on our beautiful panel today today. You'll find their information in the description below this episode. I'm sure they'd be open to questions about how to use these instruments in sessions effectively and safely and intentionally, um, which is, I think, something that we need to see more of within. It's a hope for me within the profession as well.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Able Voice Podcast.
1: If you want to find more content like this, please subscribe to the podcast and follow us on social media at MTA Haley and at mta.kimberly
0: to get notified when new episodes become available.